0: Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by Him, this man stands here before you whole. This man stands here before you whole. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Whew! the name of Jesus. I'm just quoting out of Acts chapter 4. We're going into Acts chapter 5 today if you want to be turning there. But as Peter preached this to the high court, as they came against him for doing a miracle, doing a good deed, healing a man, lame from life, Now he's leaping and dancing and shouting for joy, and they say, knock it off. And it says in verse 13 of chapter 4, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Literally, it blew their mind. (laughs) What just happened? And they realized they had been with Jesus. I pray that's our testimony. I pray that's the story. I pray that you come out of this place changed, different than you walked in, that today we are having a count encounter with the living God. And that it should touch us, it should fill us, it should motivate us, it should call us out to whatever it is what thing he has specifically for you to do today, this week as you go on with the Lord. Well, as I said, we're in Acts chapter 5, we have just finished a, a section where the church is growing, but then it's coming under persecution, and we just read about that in Acts chapter 4, and then all the people, um, they're praying and uh, wonderful things are happening, they're, they're selling all and giving to the needs of the poor. Uh, but then we see not only is persecution coming on to the church, but then the church as it's growing. Satan decides, oh, I think I'll join the church, right? And he, he just moves on the heart of Ananias and Sapphira to lie, because that's who he is, the father of lies, and the Holy Spirit deals with this in the early church, purifies the church as they pray and they go forward, um, and it says in verse 11 of chapter 5, so great fear came upon the church and upon all those who heard these things, great fear, mega phobos, just Wow. That's God. That's God, the God who heals, the God who, who lives, and, and, and the God who judges, and, and, and we need to make that clear in our minds, who all these people are. Um, it says in verse 14, "...and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women." And in verse 16, "...and a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing the sick." and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and there was he- they were healed. And so we see more healing going on, more preaching, more teaching, more glory to God, more praise, more prayer. And as this happens, now people from all around are starting to come to Jerusalem. They're, they're making the trek to go see who this, this Jesus is. So we're going to come into now verse 17, and, and it's interesting, just a little, just a big 30,000 foot view of the book of Acts. The book of Acts, right? God promises the Holy Spirit to believers as, as they pray. God delivers, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, they preach, they teach. People are being saved. People are being healed, and Satan comes against them and they're persecuted, and they're thrown in jail, and they're beaten, and, and, and uh, chapter after chapter through the book of Acts, you're going to see the church grow, and Satan punches back, and the church grows, and Satan punches back, and you can't go through the book of Acts very far where somebody's not in court, under trial, or in prison, or being beaten, and it's just, it's part of the picture, it's part of the package. Jesus would say, in this world, you will... And you can underline that one, you will have tribulation. It's a guaranteed Christian. We're no different than our Lord. If our Lord suffered, we're going to suffer as well. But be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. We win, okay? So we fight from a position of victory, but it's so important that we fight. We must stand up. We can't just roll over and think God's going to do it all. And so, We look at this package in verse 17. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And literally that word is jealousy. They were jealous. Why? Why were they jealous? They were the supreme court justices. They were the senators. They were the governors. They ruled Israel. These 70 men, it's called the Sanhedrin, were the Supreme Court of Israel. They were the political leaders of Israel. What they said went. They had position, prestige, power. They had authority. And now they're jealous of a little ragtag bunch of simple saints, green, wet behind the ear, Christians. And they're jealous of them. The high priest rose up and all who were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees. And we've talked about this a little bit. I just want to cover it quickly. In Jesus' day, in the book of Acts, in the early church days, society was broken up into certain influencers, if you will, or different political parties uh, or denominations, sects of Judaism, okay? And, and so, there was the Pharisees. We read about them a lot in the Gospels. And it was like Jesus versus the Pharisees. The Pharisees were fundamentally purist, legalists. They did everything right and, and, and whatnot, but they were very judgmental, and they were hypocrites because they would tell you what to do, but they wouldn't do it. And that was the Pharisees in their day. They hold sway in the local synagogue. So wherever you would go throughout the community, if you could get 10 people together for a quorum, you could have a synagogue. There would be a a Pharisee there, a rabbi, a teacher, and they would oversee that. So they had a lot of grassroots influence. But up in Jerusalem, up in the temple, up in the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, it was the Sadducees who held sway in that day. They were the party in power. The Sanhedrin, I mentioned 70 rulers. There was Sadducees and Pharisees that were in part involved in that group of 70, but the Sadducees outvoted the Pharisees, much as we see today with our Republican and Democratic parties, right? There's this this tug-of-war, give-and-take that's going on, but the Sadducees, they held sway. They were the liberal elites, The progressives of their day, the materialists, the pragmatists, they weren't really very spiritual. In fact, they didn't believe in miracles, even though they were the religious leaders of the nation. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection or afterlife or heaven. This is why they were sad, you see. So a lot of you know that one. You can, you know, you have to do it once in a while. So there, there were other groups, denominations, if you will, in Christianity. We call them denominations, but different groups within Judaism. Besides the Sadducees and the Pharisees, there were also the Essenes. Uh, the Essenes. Some people think John the Baptist might have been one. They were the ones that kept to themselves in their own monastery in the Qumran community down by the Dead Sea, where the dead Sea scrolls come from. They kind of just kept to themselves, right? And they were in their little bubble, the Essenes. And then there were the Zealots, and the Zealots were super radical, even to the point they weren't opposed to Assassination and insurrection and overthrowing the government. So naturally, the Essenes who kept in themselves and the zealots who wanted to destroy the government, they didn't have any pull or tug in the Sanhedrin. But the Sadducees, they did, okay? And then there was one other group that we're gonna see here in the book of Acts the Nazarites or the Nazarenes, the followers of Yeshua Hamashiach, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ from Nazareth. And so this sect of the Nazarenes, uh, they were out there, they believed in angels, they believed in the Word of God and teaching the Word of God, they believed in the blood of Christ, they believed in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of their risen Savior, Jesus Christ. They had the Holy Ghost and they knew they were heaven bound. And now the Sadducees are jealous they're filled with indignation. And it's kind of funny uh, how they've got it all, right? And yet they don't have Jesus, everything but. The high priest rose up with all those who were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and they laid their hands on the apostles and then put them in the common prison. You see, Now that they're doing miracles, they're preaching, they're teaching, they're going into the temple, people are flocking to them, not just from Jerusalem, but from all the surrounding countryside, they're coming to town and they're getting a whole bunch of followers. We've seen 3,000 saved on uh, Pentecost, a couple days after that, 2,000 more are saved. Now the multitudes are coming, men and women are coming, and, and miracles are breaking out everywhere, they're preaching the resurrection, and it's just driving the Sadducees nuts. They laid hands on them, on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. Last time we saw Peter and John, after they healed the man at the gate, beautiful, this would indicate the apostles that it's all of them, okay, all of those that are in leadership in the church and are getting out there and, and preaching the Word. So, they've got a, a, a pastel of them in the prison. But at night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, "'Go, stand in the temple.'" Speak to the people all the words of this life. Wow, cool, awesome. This is kind of a a, a neat thing. In uh, Hebrews, in chapter 13, we read in verse uh, 2, "...do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels." We see through the Scriptures how angels have appeared to people. Angel, angelos, literally is just a messenger, okay? Somebody who brings a message. But it's not just any messenger. These are created beings. They're spiritual. They're from the heavenly realm, and God would send angels to give messages. Now, we know in New Testament, as we study angels, angelology, all of that, that there are those angels who are obedient and faithful to God and those that are fallen and have fallen, chased after Lucifer. They followed Satan. They're the, the, the fallen angels or demons and, and, and those types of things. But there's a whole bunch of business going on in the heavenly realms right now as we sit here that angels are active and present and, and, and ministering amongst us. And so we see these angels, um, and in fact, we're going to see again in chapter 12, Coming up at verse 7, Peter, during the time when Herod rises up and kills James, okay, one of the apostles, the first of the apostles to be martyred, Herod and he arrests Peter, and he's going to execute Peter the next morning, and he actually has four squads of soldiers now arresting Peter, right? We, we tried to beat him, then we threw him in prison, the angels let him out, we better get a bunch of guys, they've got four squads of people on Passover, And that night an angel of the Lord comes in, kicks Peter, hey, get up, we're out of here. And it's jailbreak time, right? It's miraculous and kind of cool. In Acts chapter 16, as we go further, we're going to see Paul and Silas as they're ministering in Philippi. They get thrown in jail. And that night as they're singing and praising God, lifting their voices to God, that a great earthquake shakes the jail, and all the doors are open, and the chains are uh, let loose, and the prisoners go free. And we see throughout the Scriptures, as I said, every time the church moves forward, uh, Satan punches back, you go to jail, then you get out, and you do it again, repeat. This is the picture of the early church, what's going on there. In Ephesians chapter 6, we know this, uh, verse 12, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual army of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a whole realm that's going on right now that is as real as you and I and your neighbor sitting next to you, angelic beings, spiritual beings, good and bad, holy and wicked. And, and this is going on. In fact, it's very kind of interesting. In Daniel chapter 13, we see Daniel praying, as he's wont to do all the time, and he's praying for Israel. And then he gets a messenger from this angel. He says, while you were praying, I was delayed. And this is Michael, the, the chief angel, the archangel, and he says, I heard your prayer, I came to Israel's rescue, but I was tangled up right now, was wrestling with these spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And it says in uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, that I was wrestling with the prince uh, or the angel of Persia. Interesting, kind of, in our, our world today, you know Persia better as Iran. And so, scripturally, we see angels who have charge over nations, like Michael, the angel over Israel, like this other fallen angel, the angel over Iran. We have angels that watch over each and every one of us. There are angels busy doing all these things. And there's a cosmic battle being waged as we speak. And it's rather interesting to me as we go through the battle, or the the book of Acts, and we go on through battle after battle, church, Satan, Satan, church, church, Satan, and it goes on, it goes all the way through history, thousands of years, till today, you see it on the news. In Israel, in Gaza, with Hamas, you can know that there are those soldiers on the ground, and there are those civilians, and there are those hostages, and there's all of that, but know this, there are angels, and you know Michael's there. He is the archangel, the chief angel, responsible for Israel, and the battle's raging. And we need to understand that as we look at this. Um, Something just to kind of keep in our minds. Uh, One other thing, in the book of Hebrews also, I had quoted out of chapter 13, 2, to entertain angels. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, talking about Jesus Christ being superior to angels, It is credited to angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And so this is what these angelos, these angels, these messengers are doing. They're ministering. That means they're serving. They're assisting. They're helping. They've got your right hand. They've got your back for those who are to inherit salvation. So what do we see here? They're in jail. An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Oh, man, bummer they put you in jail. Now go home, take, it, take a day off, you know, get your wits about you. That's not what he says. He says to them, now that you're free, now that you've made your jail break, you're no longer shackled, you're free, now go. You, go, you're being sent. Go, stand in the temple, go back right to where they arrested you. Speak to the people all the words of this life. Speak all the words of this life. And so, they, they weren't, the angel didn't come to give them safety and security and comfort. This is not what the angel did, who ministers to those who are receiving salvation. He came to send them to continue to confront evil to confront wickedness to bolster them an answer to the prayer that we saw in verse or chapter 4 verse 29 at the first time they got released now lord look upon their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word don't don't have the angels protect us man give us some more holy ghost we want to be witnesses we need the power Make us strong, make us bold, and that prayer is answered. So the angels tell him, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And just know this, this is a battle. It's a cosmic battle, it's a spiritual battle, it's a day-to-day battle that we wage. It's a battle for life and death okay? And as we look at the battle that's raging, we know we have only one option is to, to win. And the only way we can win is by Jesus Christ. There is no other name given amongst men under heaven by which we must be saved. And so, we fight in the power of Jesus Christ. But just as we look at, I hear this in the news a lot with the, the war going on over in Israel, and one of the, just the, one of the fundamental pieces, and you could It doesn't really matter whose side you're on when I make this statement. It's just a solid statement. This war will end as soon as Hamas surrenders. They could surrender today and it would be over. No more civilian casualties, no more bombings. They just have to surrender, but they won't. But if Israel surrenders, they will kill them. Every single one, because that is a cult of death. This, this Islamic jihad that's going on, this is, a, is anti-Semitism, it's a satanic battle, we see it here, it comes down through history, and the thief comes just to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and this is who we're up against. So, we don't really get a choice of whether we fight, you, you, you know, you, you, don't, you don't fight, you die. You fight, you could live. And in fact, that's what we do, is we fight the good fight, the fight of life. Preach all the words of this life. That's what we're about. We're soldiers in the army of God preaching life. Verse 21, and when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. The angel said, go, stand, teach, and what did they do? They went, they stood, and they taught. They, they just straight up, first thing in the morning, they didn't wait, okay, um, let's get our, you know, group together. It's like, okay, let's do it. Just get out there and do it. And they taught. Something about this teaching, um, in Matthew 28, we're to go, just like the angel said here, go, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and... Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Teaching. The difference between teaching and preaching. Preaching is when you declare the gospel, you proclaim Christ, you praise God, and you go out publicly and you're you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, like on the day of Pentecost. And as people hear and see your light, they recognize God and they come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's preaching. Teaching is then taking those people who have received Christ and discipling them, training them up, going through the Word, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. This is the Word of God. This is how we live in these days. Teaching is so fundamental and so important, and it's interesting how sometimes churches can get out of balance, and, and they're just a preaching church, and every single Sunday it's altar call time, and you sinners repent and come up here and give your life to Jesus. And but, but without the teaching, how do I do it? How do I walk this life out? You just, you stay stunted, you don't grow, okay? On the other hand, you can get teaching churches that get all ethereal, all cerebral, all up in their head and, and they're just teaching, teaching, teaching. But there's no power, there's no proclamation of the gospel, there's no good news that Jesus Christ has won the victory on the cross of Calvary. If you'll just confess him as your Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And and so we need the preaching and the teaching especially in public, especially as these guys go out into the temple and there's a whole bunch of people there trying to figure out what is going on. You need to preach and you need to teach. And so here they go into the temple and they taught because there's a lot of people now that have gathered and joined the church and they're explaining to them what this is all about. But, it says uh, in 21, but the high priest and those who came and called, the came, I'm sorry, but the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought, okay? So they've arrested him, they've thrown him in prison, and this is all going on. And um, the Sanhedrin and the Senate, the whole, the whole government, okay? And it's, it's, a, it's a, a religious, political thing, but they're the rulers, and they have this kind of interesting in all this, that have them brought, okay? We need to talk to them. We'll put them in front of us again. Verse 22, but when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported saying, indeed, we found the prison such shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. <laughs> That's a little bit of divine humor right there, right? Not only are they not there, but How'd they get out? Sadducees. Angels let them out. How? We don't? There aren't any, well, you know, they're, I'm sure, beside themselves. It says in the next verse, now when the high priest, the captain in the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. Whew. Oh, boy. Okay. They're healing. We tell them not to preach. We put them in prison. They're not there. You know, man, what, what, what how? How's this going to turn out for us? Because it seems like they're jealous, they're they're envious, right? And, and they, they realize there's something going on with those people. I don't know what it is, but there's something going on with those people. And every time we move against them, man, another miracle pops up. It's like whack-a-mole. We can't keep them down, you know? And they're trying to figure this all out. Well, it says, and they wondered what the outcome would be. I can tell you it's not finished yet, but we, you, me, we're part of that outcome. 2,000 years ago, they are wondering, I wonder how this is going to turn out, and here we are sitting here today reading about it, and like, yeah, we're not done yet, but I'm part of that outcome, okay, uh, from, as, as uh, Jesus would uh, promise them um, that you will be endued with power to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria, southern Idaho. You remember reading that one? (laughs) To the ends of the earth, right? We know how it's going to turn out. God's already told us. He knows the end from the beginning. Read your book. It'll tell you. We win, okay? So we have great joy. But these people, they don't read their book. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in miracles. And they don't have any idea what's going on, okay? Kind of interesting in all that. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus would tell... And so if they had been listening to Jesus before they crucified Him, we read in verse 4, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed to yourself that no one deceives you. For many will come in My name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because of lawlessness, will abound. The love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. What will be the outcome of all of this? The gospel will be preached and we'll wrap it up. But in the meantime, we're living in these days where we are sent to tell the people these words of life. And so verse 25. So one came and told them saying, "Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people." <laughs> oh, okay. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. Oh, you guys, can you come with us, please? Pretty, please? to follow us. We would like to talk to you, right? They don't arrest them. They don't handcuff them. They don't treat them uh, violently. Why? Because they feared the people. Interesting here, that that word, that, that term for fear the people, fear is phobos. We get the word phobia from it. And people is demos. That's where we get the name people. And demos is something very much like uh, the word we use for democra- crossy, or democratic or democrats. And here we see these people, they fear the people. Look over at verse 11 if it's on your same page. After God purified the church, Ananias and Sapphira perished for their lies. It said, great fear, megaphobos came upon all the church and upon all these things, the fear of God. And here's the choice you have, the fear of man or the fear of God. And we can see that these political elites, these liberal, material, powerful people that don't know God, they're afraid of people. But here we're going to see the apostles fear no man. Kind of cool captain went without the officers and brought them without violence, that they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? Why, Yeah, we just read that. They said, Don't do it. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, intending to bring this man's blood on us. Wow, what a loaded statement. What a loaded observation. You filled Jerusalem with this doctrine. Oh, I would pray that's what they'd say. Springs Calvary Chapel, you filled Minakasha with the doctrine of Jesus Christ, with these words of life, with this gospel of hope, with his joy. And uh, I, I would love that to be our testimony. That's their testimony. That's the people who hate them. That, that, that would write their epitaph and put them in the grave. But what does it say on their epitaph? You fill Jerusalem with this doctrine, this teaching of God that He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And now it's just everywhere. Not only that, you fill Jerusalem with your doctrine, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. They're right. That's exactly what they'd love to do. Cover them in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, you want us to be held accountable. You're trying to blame us for crucifying Christ. Peter will answer their question, but the heart of it truly is they want everybody saved. But the only way to get saved, there is no other name given amongst men by which men must be saved but Jesus Christ. So Peter opens up on them. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God. Rather than man, straight up. No problem here. They got their attention, right? Because here you are in court. Your Honor, we ought to obey God rather than man. How's the, how's the judge going to argue with that, right? These are supposed to be representatives of the religion of Judaism, respecters of Yahweh God. So how can we argue with that? We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree, Him, God, is exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Wow. Boldly He preaches. Remember, last time He got up to preach, boldly. That word for preaching boldly, it it connotes a lot of different things. Lucidly. Focused, um, composed, but powerful, like meekness, power under control. They weren't ranting, they weren't raging, they weren't raving, they weren't arguing, they weren't yelling, they weren't protesting in the streets and putting bloody handprints on the White House gate or whatever it is. They were not out of control. They stood there and they just spoke the truth, spoke the truth in love but the truth, in front of the court, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's all they did. But boldly, Peter stands up and he preaches, and, and, and I love what it says, we ought to obey God, amen. Uh, our fathers raised up Jesus, God raised up Jesus, amen, the Christ, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree, which is true, they're as guilty as you are, as I am, we all hung Jesus on the tree. It's for the sins of the world that He died. There's nothing that's not true that they're not saying right here, but the reality is we can always say, well, Jesus hung on the sins for the cross for the sins of the world, but until you own it, until you know it was your sin, it doesn't change you, right? It, you've got to take responsibility, and that's what Peter is offering them, an opportunity to come clean, to be covered by the blood of Jesus. He's going to say that in just a minute here. You murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God, has exalted to His right hand. This is heaven. That's where God lives, and now He's talking about heaven. He's talking about resurrection. He's talking about all the things that just make these Pharisees just beside themselves. He raised him to the right hand to be prince, that's ruler, judge, Lord, to be prince and Savior. The only way we can be cleansed of our sin, forgiven, our debt paid is somebody's got to interpose His blood. Somebody has to stand in our place. Somebody has to pay that sin debt for us, and that's Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, to give repentance to Israel. And forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. This is really good news that Peter is preaching to them. But you can be certain they don't feel as good. Every word they're getting just boiling and boiling. and, And yet, it's just, it's the truth. In love, gracefully, seasoned with salt, just telling it straight up. He says, and we are his witnesses to these things. We've seen it. That's what we're doing. We're witnesses. That's the word martyr. Okay, just as we read in Acts 1.8. I will give you power to be my witnesses, to be my martyrs. We are witnesses. We're just telling what we saw. That's all we're doing, you know. Verse 30, we're witnesses these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit. Ooh, there we go. Another thing the Pharisees aren't big on, the Holy Ghost spiritual realm, angels, power of God. The Holy Spirit witnessed it too, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Why do you think all these miracles are happening? It's not us. It's God. It's just the Holy Spirit is showing the world the things that we say are true. In Matthew chapter 10, I'll pick up at verse 16. It says, Behold, Jesus speaking to you now, to me, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And it goes on to say how you're going to be delivered up in all these things. In verse 28 it says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to deliver both soul and body in hell. We, we need to stand forward. We don't have to worry about what we're going to say or when we're going to say it. Peter just stood up boldly, just hold the truth. You know it's interesting how we just talked about lying a lot last week, right? The, the whole sermon was about lying and what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. Once you start that, you have to remember every little bit and piece, or everything falls apart. But if you never lie, you don't have to remember anything. You just just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. And here they are. They're just telling the truth. And uh, it's hitting the target. God will give you the words to speak at the time you need to speak it. Just, just know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay. So when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill him. That word "furious," Doctor Luke uses to describe their reaction, is literally a word that means "sawn asunder." Zzz, 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 zzz. They sawed them in two, okay? Uh, other, other ways that that's expressed when we see that word for furious is rent in two or vexed, exasperated, cut to the heart. They were furious. They were cut to the heart. These words pierced them. They penetrated them. The Word of God, it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the soul and spirit, the bone and the marrow, revealing the thoughts and intents of the heart. And here, the word of God is penetrated in them. They're rent in two. They're sawn asunder. They're cut to the heart. They're furious. And so, what's their response? Oh, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Not. And they plotted to kill them. And here we see, for the first time, straight out, no, no mincing words, they want to kill them. Anybody here familiar with the Ten Commandments? (laughs) Anybody remember number eight? Thou shall not kill, thou shall not murder. These are supposed to be the leaders of Israel, the the elite, the people who absolutely uh, would come down on, they're the judges, they should know the law, right? But it's no different than our, our Congress today, our, 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 our executive branch, our legislative body, who doesn't know our Constitution. They, 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 these guys don't know their Constitution. They don't know their Ten Commandments, Thou shall not kill. And so what do they do? Their heart just is so dark and bitter. Verse 34, then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. Okay, so Gamaliel, highly respected here. We see Gamaliel. He's the son of, or the grandson of Hillel. Hillel was the rabbi who led the, the, probably the strongest seminary, if you will, the strongest religious school in Israel in these days. And he's the grandson, and he has a special title in Israel. He's known as the Rabban. Rabban means our teacher, a little different than if you have Rab which is teacher, or rabbi, which is to say my teacher, but this guy, Gamaliel, he's our teacher. He's a national teacher. He's the one the whole nation respects, much as Nicodemus we saw in the book of John. And so Gamaliel, he was the um, teacher, he was the mentor of Saul of Tarsus, aka we know him as Paul the apostle. And it's said of Paul and Gamaliel when Paul was studying under him that Gamaliel couldn't get him enough books. This is what Gamaliel wrote about Paul. I, I can't give this guy enough. He just has a voracious appetite for studying and learning the things of Israel. He is a Hebrew of Hebrew, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. This guy, man, is deep in everything. Well, Gamaliel was his teacher, the Rabban of all of Israel, and Paul was his star pupil. And so, what's interesting is he says, okay, everybody out of the room, we're going to have a closed session, executive session, right? So, how do we know what went on in the executive session? Likely, Gamaliel's star student, Paul, the apostle, Saul was there, present, and was able to relate these things to us, what this conversation was. So he says, um, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, a number of men, about 400 joined him, and he was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. So he's just, he's just quoting a, an incident that happened in Israel, and basically the point is, this guy rose up, like this Jesus rose up, but it all went away. You know, the, they, they died down and nothing came of it. He goes on to say, verse 37, "'After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed.'" Same story. If we just ignore him, it'll just go away. That's what he's basically saying. Verse 38, "'And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone.'" For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Okay, there's some wisdom in that, right? But it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people go, well, you know, Gamaliel's counsel, time will tell if God is in it. Well, that may be true, but we may expire (laughs) from this planet prior to we know how some things are going to turn out in time. And Gamaliel, he's got that wait-and-see attitude, and really, he's copping out. He has an opportunity right here to lead all of the Sanhedrin to Jesus Christ, but he doesn't. He, 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 he's a fence sitter. Uh, anybody here ever heard of a mugwump? A mugwump, okay, okay. That's somebody who is a fence-sitter. They got their mug on one side of the fence and their wump on the other. (laughs) The term became popular um, in the late 1800s, okay? The Republican Party, the political activists, were intensely opposed to political corruption. And so, they switched parties from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party to support Groveling-Cleveland. Cleveland in the election of 1884, and they were nicknamed mugwumps because they had they were part one party and part another. They just they couldn't figure out which side they were on. And that's what Gamaliel is. Says, oh, let's be mugwumps. That'll be good. Have you ever been to a church that's a mugwump church? Oh, well, you know, there's this, this day we go this way, and this day we go that way, and whatever whatever's popular, whatever's in vogue, whatever the people are doing, whatever's trending on Facebook or Twitter or whatever—that's what we'll support. That no convictions, no foundation. Verse forty. And they agreed with him, and when they had been, when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Okay, so he basically got them to stop from killing them. We won't kill them. Let's just beat them. But this beating is not just a beating, as you might think, you know, they got a spanking or something like that. This word for beating is the word for flaying, for scourging, for thrashing. This is the 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes that they would put upon people to punish them. And the lash was filled, it was long leather thongs, and uh, it had bits of glass and metal and bone in it. And when the lictor would throw that across your back, it would tear off skin. And this is how they are being beaten, okay? So, they didn't get off easy, Okay, in fact, it's interesting in Hebrews chapter 12, we read this, I'm going to pick up at verse 1, but we're going to get to verse 4 and you're going to see where it goes. Therefore, and consider these apostles that are being lashed, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews twelve three. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself. And we understand what Jesus did on your behalf, on my behalf. They mocked Him, they beat Him, they spit upon Him, they scourged Him, they nailed Him to the tree, they thrust Him through, they treated Him terribly. It says His visage was marred in Isaiah 53 that we couldn't even recognize Him as a human being. That's how badly He was beaten. Consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And I would dare say probably none of us could say I've been beaten and bled for Jesus Christ. And yet the witnesses down through history tell a different story. We consider the martyrs and the the organization Voices of the Martyrs and how there are more people being persecuted for Christianity today for being Christians than in all the history of the earth combined. The, the war is raging. It's a cosmic battle on a scale that nothing in the Scriptures describes it, other than it says it's happening, but the, the mayhem, the bloodshed, the barbarity, the the violence, the, the Hamas that's going on in the world today. Interesting. in. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul the Apostle, who is talking to the church in Corinth, that's, you know, well, what are your credentials? These other guys, they've got degrees, they've got flowing speech, they're all that in a bag of chips. And Paul says, Well, I'll tell you about my credentials. For, I'm sorry, I flipped to the wrong page here. Okay. 2 Corinthians 11.23. Are they ministers of Christ? These people that claim to be super saints. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, which is to say I really shouldn't be boasting about myself, but I am more in, and now look at his credentials, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. I can't count the number of stripes. If you wanted to know if Paul was a Christian, if he came into town and they said, Well, who, who are you? What, what, what's your evidence that you're a Christian? He would take off his shirt and show you his back. That's my proof that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, as I consider him who suffered for me. labors more abundant, stripes above measure, and prisons more frequently, and deaths often from the Jews. Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That's the Jews. The Romans weren't so kind. They would just beat you and beat you and beat you. They would never stop. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils, perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren in weariness, and toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger, and thirst, and fastings, often in cold, and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. Who is weak? You claim I'm weak. You think I'm a wimp. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. He would go on to say in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am in strong. James would write, verse 2 and 3, or 3 through 4, I think. <laughs> My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is the Calvary road. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily daily. And follow me. And finally, worship team, come on up. In Peter, First Peter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He's glorified. But <laughs> let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if he begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Let me follow this out. Verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It's so important that we know and that we steel ourselves, we brace ourselves, we prepare ourselves, we we recognize. Have you ever had this conversation with God? What if I had to endure what these witnesses that have gone before me have endured? Would I be able to do this? How could I possibly endure what Paul endured? How can I possibly go through what these apostles just experienced? How can I? How can you expect me to do all these things? The answer is, He'll give you the answer at the time that you need it. In the power of His Holy Spirit, He'll give you. What it takes to be a witness. What it takes to be a martyr. How do we unlock that? How do we receive that? How do we experience that? We've been reading it. It's the book of Acts. In prayer. <laughs> in praise. In thanksgiving. <laughs> in, in preaching the word of life. Being about our Father's business. If we're doing those things, you can be certain rest assured should the day come and i know i'm supposed to be done but if i don't ever say it let me say it to you today we're in those days team we're in those days the persecution is 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 coming and I don't say this to be dark and negative. We win. We have victory. We have light. We can shine. We can live well. We can live joyfully. But we have to recognize that the persecution is growing and growing. And it's our opportunity to show more of the world the good news, the grace, the joy, the hope, the forgiveness, the love, the peace of Jesus Christ. On Wednesday night, we're teaching in the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, I just, I just want to share this with you because it almost, it's jarring to hear this. And I bet you've read the book of Judges and you won't remember this. But it says in Judges chapter 3, after they've recounted all the battles that they had coming into the promised land and all the enemies they didn't completely wipe out, They didn't have total victory over them. In Judges 3 verse 1, now these are the nations which the Lord left, that is left in the promised land, didn't completely drive them out. These are the nations which the Lord left that He might test Israel by them, that is all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan, and listen up. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. God purposed to put trials, tribulation, struggle, persecution in our lives so that we would know war. He wants us to know war. He wants us to know how to fight. He wants us to know how to put on the full armor of God, to put on truth and righteousness and salvation and hope and peace and joy and stand and go to battle and live victoriously and win. But it's so important. He left opportunity for you and me to know war, that we could fight that good fight, that we could go out into the world and save souls. And so, again book of Acts, we're going to see it. God does amazing things and the church grows and Satan punches back. And how is it going to turn out? I can tell you how it's turned out so far. Here we are. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for these records that have been passed on to us, witnesses to your Holy Spirit, to your truth, to your Word, hear promises from before the foundation of the world that You would bring us to You. You would forgive us. You would call us Your children. You would equip us and empower us to go out and save a lost and dying world. We thank You, Lord, that we not only see it in the book of Acts, but we see it here at the springs. We see it in our life. We see it in the world that victory is happening if we would just open our eyes and look. So I pray now, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the wonderful works of God in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at The Springs in Hayburn, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.